We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, we're kind of continuing our study, our sermon series, entitled Let's Go, and we're looking at different aspects of how we can take the message of Christ and His forgiveness uh, into the world in which we exist and in which we live, sometimes uh, um, our own families, right? So today, that's what we want to look at. Last couple weeks, we looked at the importance of listening. James, book of James just told us outright that, that um, we, we need to listen, right? We need to use our ears, right? Um, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, today, we want to dig into a little bit more of what, what happens when we have listened, right? What are we hearing as we listen, as believers, to, to the people in our lives and around us? So, so that's what we, want to, what we want to look into. Does anyone know what this is? flashlight. Has any of you ever had one of these? Yeah? Okay. This is the famous Garrity disposable flashlight. Okay. Now, some of you are not very impressed by that. Who here has ever had one of those? Okay. Some of you have. So, um, this flashlight specifically was a mainstay of my life growing up. So some of you know that I lived in Alaska the first eight years of my life, and um, this was the only flashlight that I ever knew existed. So they are sealed. You can't change the battery in them. I suppose if you're really industrious, you could do that, but uh, they weren't made to be taken apart. So they were single-use flashlights. Uh, They had that kind of handheld shape to them. And every kid in Alaska was issued a Garrity disposable flashlight. Do you know why? Because of the darkness, yeah, because of the darkness, right? So uh, at certain times of the year in the winter, right, it it was dark. And so I would go to my school bus with my Garrity disposable flashlight in hand and go up the steps and find my seat, right, with my flashlight. Uh, And then when I got home, I'd use my flashlight and walk out of the bus with the very same thing, right? Darkness on the way to school, darkness on the way home, you can imagine how well education went on days like that, right? <laughs> right? But that was life in Alaska. Um, during the winter months, you endured lots and lots of darkness. Now, this is probably a little more insight than you want to know on my family, but uh, as a kid, you just think this is how everyone lives with flashlights, right? Going to and from school. And as a kid, I'm not sure that the the lack of light in the winter necessarily affected me. Because as a child, you just keep moving forward. And you think that this is normal life, darkness. The truth is, as we age and as we get older, we understand how affected by light we are. Uh, There's probably a few different reasons, um, but my mom has said when we moved away from Alaska and we moved to Grand Junction, so now contrast the darkness of Alaska and cold with the heat and sunshine of Grand Junction. After we got there, she said, I can't believe how much I've missed the sunlight. And to this day, she says, I'll never go back to Alaska. <laughs> right? um, now, part of that is probably that she was raising four kids right, in the Alaska cold and sending them on buses with flashlights to and from. But, but I think we get that, don't we? We understand how, 
how important light is. And sometimes we only understand how important it is uh, when we actually get to step into the light. I'd make the argument when I was a kid in Alaska, I didn't know any different. But once you stand in the light, you feel the difference. It's not Alaska. It's on the other side of the globe. Uh, the Neumeyer Station is a year-round station in Antarctica. It's used as a, a uh, kind of a testing site, a training site. They do experiments there. Um, the, the whole point of having that station there is to see what extreme environments uh, can do to not only people, but, but you know, different things. So Neumeyer Station uh, is on that kind of north end of, is that north? In Antarctica? It seems north on my screen. Let's just say that's north in Antarctica. Um, that Neumeyer station is there, and uh, um, people are regularly uh, manning it. People are regularly uh, uh, there. This is what it looks like, and it looks kind of cool. So it's up on stilts. It actually moves along with the ice flow, and so it's, it's kind of built to be able to, to move and, and, and kind of organically move with that ice. And this is a little bit of an idyllic picture of the Neumeyer station because it is in the sunlight, right? But about this time, every single year, Neumeyer station, in fact, at this moment, as we're sitting here with our lights and in the Colorado sun, uh, they are beginning what they call polar night. So it's about two months of pitch blackness. And actually leading up to that and coming out of that, uh, it's incredible amounts of dark as well. And so if you're going to live, if you're going to be a scientist on the Neumeyer Station, you have to be ready to, to experience in immense amounts of darkness. As of yesterday, at about 3 p.m., this was the Neumeyer Station. They actually have a webcam up, so if you ever want to go see how dark it is there. But this is it. They're entering their polar night. For the next two months, those that are on the Neumeyer station will not see the sunlight. So do you want to sign up? No. <laughs> right? I'll just look at it from a webcam. <laughs> right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that we would want to sign up for that. And to be honest, I'm not sure that you should or that we should. Uh, in about 2011, they did an experiment, not an experiment, they did a, uh, a series of tests on eight scientists that were headed down to Neumeyer Station. So those scientists were going to be at that station for a total of 14 months. So before they went, they ran each and every one of them through an MRI, and they got precise measurements of, of all of their statistics, all of their chemical balances, and specifically of their brain. They did that on the way in. They also did it when they came out 14 months later. Can you guess what their brains looked like after that? They, what, they weren't mush. Their brains weren't mush, but this is, not, this is not an exact science I'm showing you right now. Their brains were about this big going in, and when they came out, they were smaller. In fact, on average, every single one of those that went after that 14 months, their brains literally shrunk between 4 to 10% of their size. Okay? Why? Incredible amounts of darkness, incredible amounts of isolation, and to be honest, repetition. Same thing day after day after day. What they are experiencing 
in the Neumeier station right now, today, I think we get it. And so maybe it's not physically being in darkness or living in a place that's dark. We get to live in a state where we see incredible amounts of sun, but I think on some level we understand what it feels like to be in darkness. I think we understand what it feels to be like in isolation and cut off from other people. Um, It's not good for us. It's detrimental. That's what we want to look into a little bit here today. So our theme is going to simply be that, into darkness. As Christians, of the light of Christ, um, how do we take that into our sin-darkened world? So that will be our theme this morning, simply into darkness. If you are one that likes to know a little bit of a roadmap where I'm, where I'm going in this sermon, um, we're going to kind of look at three different areas. Uh, we want to talk about what is the light that we're referring to as believers, right? Spiritually, then we're going to look at a little bit into the darkness, <laughs> We want to understand that, right? Uh, And then lastly, um, how does that darkness define our mission as believers? That's kind of how we're going to head through our our text here today. Um, Now, our text was written by the Apostle John. Uh, This is a depiction, actually, of John uh, on the island of Patmos. So John died of old age on the island of Patmos, Um, And it was there, presumably, that he was given uh, the vision of the last book in the New Testament, book of Revelation. So that's kind of what this picture uh, is depicting. John's got a white beard. He's old, right? Uh, We see the heavens opening and God giving him a vision of eternity and what life has after our earthly death, right? And John maybe needed that. So our text today is John's apostle. And John's an interesting disciple, saint, right? Apostle within the pages of scripture. Um, He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. So if you think through your Bible history just a little bit, uh, there are reasons why that is a legitimate statement about John that he can make about himself. If we we wanted to say that Jesus had an earthly best friend, I think John would probably be our best pick for that, right? Um, certainly Jesus, Jesus um, had best friends of, of us all, right? Ultimately, that's what the cross meant. But John was closer to Christ maybe than some of the other disciples were. Uh, at Jesus' transfiguration, he invited John to come along, right? Um, John was a simple fisherman that Jesus called and said, you're going to not fish for fish, you're now going to fish for people. So Jesus himself called him, right? Uh, John sat immediately to Jesus right at the Last Supper. So if any of the other disciples wanted to talk to Jesus, they kind of had to go through John. So all these major events, John was the one that was quite often there. The account of the Bible, the only disciple that we know was at the foot of the cross while Jesus was being crucified. It was John. And when Jesus looked down and saw his mother Mary, and that she would be alone without her son and without the structure around her, Jesus put Mary, entrusted Mary to John. Okay, so uh, for a lot of reasons, I think John would have known Christ as good as anyone, right? Both uh, uh, Christ in his humanity, but what's fascinating in our text here today as John writes this gospel is John doesn't begin his gospel talking about Jesus' humanity. 
In fact, John doesn't start his gospel talking about uh, maybe all the good times that he had with Christ, all the personal, intimate, relational times that he had with Christ. Fascinatingly enough, John starts with something that is so much bigger, so much broader, and so much more important. I think there's some reasons for that. Most theologians will say that, uh, um, that the books John wrote in the New Testament were by and large some of the last ones that were written during the New Testament era. So he wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the book of Revelation. Most of those are dated to about 85 to 90 AD. John died about 100 AD. So when this picture has a big white beard, John in his old age, that's a pretty good picture of who John was. When John wrote this gospel text that we're talking about here today, the other three gospel accounts were already written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were already around. So John, one of the closest with Jesus, writes his gospel account. That's why it's amazing kind of how John starts this out. Not as an intimate look into who Jesus is, but to be honest, an intimate look into God's and into Christ's divinity. So that's the author of our text here today. And I think it is important for us to understand not only what he's writing, but probably a little bit what he had gone through. If all these books were late writings, which for sure we know Revelation was, John would have been exiled on Patmos. He would have been alone, in large part, isolated, but he would have seen darkness by that point. By about 85 AD and beyond, um, a real severe persecution broke out against Christianity within the Roman Empire by the Emperor Domitian. John would have been in the midst of that. And so as John writes his books about Jesus, he does so in the context of having seen family and friends and loved ones and all of those that he called near and dear put to death. It was in the midst of seeing a persecution breaking out against Christianity in general. Right? This, this, this flourishing, blooming Christian church was now um, being attempted to be snuffed out in every city around the Mediterranean. And so when, Jesus, when John rather talks about light, let's not forget that he intimately understood the other side of it in darkness. Let's jump into our text. I want to read for you verses 1 through 3. You're welcome to follow along with me on the screen if you'd like. You can also find it in your bulletin. Um, and then we always have a spot in there for notes and things too. So if you'd like to take notes or doodle, you're welcome to. So uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made uh, was made that has been made. So John starts out his gospel in this way. In the beginning was the word. He uses it three times. The Greek word there is logos. And uh, it may seem like an odd phrase or an odd name for Jesus. But when we dig down a little bit, we understand that that word logos was... was uh, um, had incredible amounts of depth, not only within the culture in which John was writing his gospel, um, 
but also just within Christianity at that time. So he calls Jesus the Word, the Logos. Why? Well, I think there's a good answer for that. Because Christ's Word was the Word, right? And John even goes on further and he says, because Christ was there in the beginning and he was physically there with me in my ministry, died and rose again and now exists in eternity. So what is John doing for us here? He could have probably regaled us with like oodles of stories about Jesus. Right? We know that all the stories, all the accounts of Christ, um, all the details of it, we don't find in all of the gospel accounts, right? Um, in fact, the gospel writers say if we were going to write about Jesus' life, we would have, there would be more books than, than what we could physically put down. So John could have brought out all kinds of stories about his friend, Jesus. But he starts out his gospel text not with his friend, Jesus, who absolutely he was. But he starts out his gospel of John with his Savior, Jesus. That Christ was the Word. Here's why that's important. Christ brought life, not just during his ministry, but ultimately, here's what John is saying, that Christ as the word was there at the beginning, during his ministry, and will be there at the end. See, John is attesting to Jesus' divinity. Not just a man, true man, but also true God. And why that's important for John and for you and I is because God can and does bring life. That's what John wants to get across to us. He said, you have a God, you believe in a God uh, uh, that, that is far larger than necessarily just the ministry, earthly ministry of Jesus. You believe in Jesus who is also the Word who was there at the beginning, the creation of our world and who will be there at the end of our world. Now the implications of that mean that it wasn't just a man who died on the cross, but it was true God as well. So John kind of lifts our eyes from the earthly and the temporary and places our eyes squarely on God above, Christ and his divinity. Now, John um, um, brings that at the very start of his gospel, but he's not alone. Uh, Actually, in our first reading from the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul did the very same thing. He says this, uh, I picked up verse 18 and then verses 24 through 25. It says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. So debate with Paul. Then Paul responded, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life and breath and everything else. So, John and Paul both bring out that aspect of Christ as our life giver. Now, why would they be doing that? I think specifically because it is very easy for our vision to get narrowed just to the things of this earth. In fact, Paul was addressing at least two philosophical uh, um, schools of thought that were prevalent at his time. So Epicurean and Stoic. So if you were uh, an Epicurean, it was eat, drink, and be merry. So that was about it, right? You don't know where you're going. You don't know that there's anything after this life. And so you have to wring out 
every last drop of pleasure and joy that you can before you expire, right? That was Epicurean thought. Eat, drink, and be merry because you have no idea uh, what comes next, right? The other school of thought were Stoic philosophers. And so theirs was a little bit similar but slightly different. Stoic philosophers would say, no, you need to live your life in a moral way, in an upright way, according to a set of rules. And if you do that, then you can be proud of the life that you have lived. Then you've lived some sort of purpose. Now what, at least on the surface, may look as though these two schools of thought were far distant from one another. The truth is, they viewed earth and life in exactly the same way, as temporary. That there was nothing afterwards, right? That you could not know answers, that there was no such thing as truth, that you had to just live your life and either you did it by eat, eating, drinking, and being merry, or you did it by being upright and being moral. But at the end of the day, there were no truths. There were no answers, and there was nothing beyond this life. And so when Paul talks to these folks in Athens, who does he refer them to? The life giver, Christ. It's the exact same thing that John did. So what both of them are doing is lifting the eyes of those listeners off of their earthly, temporary existence and placing it on God above. By nature of that, they're also saying there really is truth. Objective truth. Truth that doesn't come from within ourselves, right? There really are answers. Answers to this life and the next. And there really is a God who gives life. That's the God that we have the joy of being able to share with our world. And so John, in the midst of his darkness, Paul, in the midst of unbelief, right, uh, and materialism in Roman society, both point to Christ as the life giver. That's where we begin. And I think it's important for us to remember because ultimately that is the answer for our earthly living. It's Christ. Now, why is that important? For our lives. For the lives of the people around us. Well, that's where John kind of pulls that out a little bit more. Verse 5, John says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Overcome it. Can you empathize with John a little bit? I remember his setting. He had seen death. He had seen persecution. He had seen hardship. Right? John had seen darkness. How about you this morning? How dark is your world? How dark is our world? Right? I think it's a fair question for us to ask. Last couple weeks, we talked about being willing to listen. Being willing to listen to those in our lives, truly listen, to hear the stories, to hear their pain, to hear their joy and their triumphs. But here's the not-so-secret secret. When you become really good listeners, do you want to know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear darkness. You just are. 
When you become really good listeners, you're going to find people that are in pain. And you're going to hear suffering. And you're going to hear loss. And you're going to hear broken hearts. And you're going to hear struggle and conflict and relationships that are tearing apart at the seams. Those are the things that we will hear, that you will hear when you truly listen. You want to know why I'm confident that's what you're going to hear when you listen? Because that's what's in each of us, isn't it? Think about um, maybe the stories or the moments that we share. When we are comfortable enough, when we trust enough, when we believe that someone actually wants to listen to what we have to say, sometimes that's when everything comes rushing out, doesn't it? And there's lots of darkness and there's lots of pain. I think that's the reality of our world. John knew it, but you know it as well. Right? Maybe as you sit here this morning, there is someone or something that's heavy on your heart, that you're struggling with, a relationship right now at this very moment that you feel is falling apart. You don't know what the next day is going to bring. Maybe it's chronic illness. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the threat of not having a job. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe it is uh, um, the, the economic news that keeps pouring at us kind of day after day after day, this impending doom that we are supposed to be moving towards a recession of some sort, right? If you feel that, you're not alone. Because take a look around in this sanctuary. I think every one of us feel that. I do not think it's hard for us to feel the darkness personally. And when we truly listen to the people in our lives, we'll hear about it. But here's the good news. See, John knew darkness. But more importantly, he knew light. That same verse, the light has overcome. Ultimately, John, in the pages of Scripture, does not... Um, belittle us. Pages of scripture does not pretend that pain and suffering and darkness are not omnipresent in all of our lives. It's often been said that everyone's broken just in different ways. Pages of scripture does not ignore that. And I think that's a strength. Because in the midst of that darkness and that pain, we find the light of Christ. And here's the real beauty of that. It's a real answer. It's not Epicurean or Stoic philosophy that, yeah, in all this darkness, you're just not going to find any answers. There's no answers for this, so you might as well just live your life in this way. It's far better than that, right? Then the pages of Scripture, and John himself says, no, there is an answer. And his name is Christ, and he was the Word, and he was there at the beginning, is in your life now, and will be there at the end. And so when Paul, or when John rather, talks about the light, he points us directly to Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Right? Here's why that's important, not only for you, for the people in your life. C.S. Lewis once said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. I think pain is what we feel and what we see when we truly listen to the stories of the people around us. 
But the joy we have is a real answer to that pain and that suffering. In fact, that is exactly why Christ came into the world. Why the author of our world wrote himself into our story in the man, Jesus Christ. You have a real answer and real hope that you can give to people in your life, in your families, and in your community. Not uh, just get the most out of this day and get to the next because there's nothing beyond. But Christ... The answer for pain and suffering and sin and darkness. That is exactly why Jesus took on human form, was to be able to, to break the dominance of darkness with his light, with his forgiveness, with his love. And so when John talks about light, he points our eyes to nowhere else but Jesus Christ. He's the answer. He's the forgiveness that we have. And he is the very real hope and answer that you are able to bring into a, a sin-darkened world and sin-darkened lives of those around you. So Christ is life. It's also light. And we understand that darkness. But Jesus breaks through it. Right? John finishes out in this way. Verses 9 and 14. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so John rounds it out, doesn't he? This isn't some distant hope that we have, right? And this isn't just, how do I get through this day? But John lifts our eyes to his best friend Christ, who also was the pre-incarnate word and true God, who, and who laid down his life on the cross for you and for all people. You have a God, you have a Savior, who is a life giver, who is a life bringer, and who brings light into this world. And guess what your privilege is? That's right. Share that light. As you listen, as you hear stories, as you empathize with the pain and the darkness in the lives of the people around you, you have the unique opportunity to bring Christ as a light and very real answers. And I understand sometimes that can be daunting, right? Day after day, maybe when our world seems to be getting darker and darker. Yet I also think it presents a unique opportunity for us as believers to live as Christ's light in our world, in our culture, and in our nation. Uh, an author, Brene Brown, once said this, the dark does not destroy the light, it defines it. I thought maybe that's a great way to look at our witnessing of Christ in the lives of the people around us. We don't deny that there is darkness, that there is struggle, that there is pain, and there is suffering. But that darkness and that pain also define not only who we are, but most importantly, who Christ is the life giver, the light bringer, forgiveness and love. That's the joy that we get to reflect in the world around us. And as you do it, guess what? You're not alone. You can take a look around in this sanctuary. You're not alone, right? But even greater than that, your God, the life bringer, the light bringer Christ walks with you. The psalmist reminds us, reminds us of that in 119. It says, your word, right, Logos, 
is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Ultimately, Christ guides us and guides your witness as you bring very real answers to the pain and suffering that you're going to hear. But that's our privilege and our honor. To be able to bring life, to be able to bring light through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen.